Welcome to another episode of the Logic and Larry podcast. I am your host, Larry Crane. And as you know, nothing I say in this podcast is in any way an official position. It doesn't reflect any position of any other individual or entity. It is simply me as a private citizen speaking to you on my own time about the issues and matters that concern us. So today, obviously, there is one thing on everybody's mind, and it should be if you're an American interested in civic engagement, the state of our country, the impending election, all of those things. This is the day immediately following the night in which former President Donald Trump was indicted in Fulton County, Georgia, by prosecutor Fonnie Willis on, now remember, Trump is not named in every single count of the indictment, but this is a 41-count indictment. Uh, There were 19 people in total charged in this indictment in Georgia. It is Trump, Rudy Giuliani, uh, Cheeseboro, plenty of Trump's closest confidants and collaborators. Uh, Mark Meadows is also charged. There were 41 counts. But if you read the indictment, and I I will tell you, I read the entire indictment this morning. I read the entire indictment this morning, and there are 41 counts charged in the indictment. But there are also 161 acts defined as overt acts, and those are overt acts in furtherance of the conspiracy or overt acts in furtherance of the racketeering charge, the RICO charge, which is the first charge in the indictment. Now, first, I kind of want to just, well, before I get into the nuts and bolts and explanations of the technical legal stuff, let's talk about what is in this indictment from a factual standpoint, from a uh, real-life practical standpoint. What is in this indictment? Well, first of all, let me say that this indictment is impressive, right? This indictment is extremely detailed, extremely well thought out, extremely well documented and well referenced and what i mean by that is every minutia of alleged conduct contained in this indictment corresponds within the body of the indictment and references a specific date and a specific written memo or document or a specific phone call or a specific text message or a specific meeting uh, with flight times, where people landed, where people drove, things like that. This is very, very, very detailed uh, case here. Now, what this case essentially says is Starting in November of 2020, Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and others came up with a conspiracy, concocted a plan. Now, this people could sit here and say, oh, this is nothing. This is just him. No, no, no. This clearly, clearly lays out with evidence, with corroboration, with what appears to be cooperating witnesses or cooperating co-conspirators, because in the indictment it constantly references co-conspirator two, who is known to the grand jury, co-conspirator five, all unindicted, but all people who are known to the grand jury, my guess is that several of those people actually testified to the grand jury and actually admitted to what was going on and are actually cooperating with prosecutors in Georgia. Anyway, the indictment essentially states that in November 2020, Trump and his confidants, including Rudy Giuliani, came up with a scheme 
and formed an organization with the goal of completing this scheme, which was gathering their friends and allies together in order to change the outcome of an election that Trump lost, right? So the indictment says in November of 2020, knowing he lost the election or he was losing the election or going to lose the election, Trump and his allies, including Giuliani, Cheeseboro, all these people, came up with a scheme wherein they would change the outcome of the election. And then the indictment goes in painstaking detail, painstaking detail as to how, you know, the methods and the ways and the acts by which this scheme was attempted to be completed by these people. And essentially, it outlines a, an elaborate scheme where Trump and his allies would first say to the public and to the American people, look, the election is rigged, there's all this fraud in the election. Even though those claims were unsubstantiated, even though those claims were actually false, even though at some point Trump and his allies knew them to be false, they continued to make these statements. Once they made these statements, their next thing was going to be to go into the individual states, right? Into Pennsylvania, into Michigan, into Georgia, and convince government officials in those states and solicit those government officials in those states to go against their public oath of office and to commit felonies in order to unlawfully switch those states' electoral votes from Joe Biden to Donald Trump. They went to those states, they went to those state officials, and they tried to get state officials in those states, including Georgia, to commit felonies by unlawfully claiming that Trump won the election in those states, even though he did not. And now, remember, the claims of voter fraud have been over and over proven to be false because we have the lawsuit that Dominion filed against Trump and his cronies, uh, for libel that they won they will they settled it and got millions of dollars Fox News was involved in some of this stuff and then you had Republican led investigations even investigations led by Trump allies of voter systems that returned the fact that the voting was not rigged that the there was were no widespread irregularities in voting and that Joe Biden did in fact win the election but during this time, Trump and his allies were trying to say, oh, it was rigged, and that was the excuse they were using to try to solicit public officials in various states to commit felonies by unlawfully just saying Trump won even though he didn't. Now, part of that was the other part of the scheme, which is even more intricate. While they were trying to uh, solicit public officials in these states to unlawfully change the votes of these states, they were also having other people in those states recruit and nominate electors, electors, members of the electoral college that would wrongfully, wrongfully sign their names as the chosen electors of the state, wrongfully claim that they were voting for Trump lawfully and wrongfully file that with the relevant government entities that would receive those documents. So that was forgery. They were lying and saying, I am the elector from Georgia and I vote Donald Trump. When in reality, there was another legitimate elector from Georgia who was voting for Joe Biden per the laws of that state. So they were recruiting these faithless false electors to forge these documents 
to submit them to the federal government saying, no, 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 Georgia votes Trump. That's all of us. We're the electors. Not true. And it involved individuals that were the liaisons between those people in the Trump campaign. Also, they signed agreements with cybersecurity companies and forensic computer companies and without authorization from Georgia officials properly, without proper authorization, went and tampered with voting machines in Georgia. And that is documented. It's documented to the T with when somebody landed on a plane in Atlanta, then took a, a car to Coffee County to tamper with a voting machine. They did that, and that was in conjunction with Powell. Not only that, in addition to that, they were harassing election and poll workers and trying to intimidate and lie to poll workers to try to get poll workers to testify or attest to some type of scheme or irregularities in the vote counts that never existed. Ruby Freeman, for one, was harassed ad nauseum. Now, this is a woman who volunteers her time to go count votes at a polling place, a regular citizen, and she is being harassed and intimidated, and it was widespread. They have dates when her door was knocked on, dates when her neighbor's door was knocked on, dates of text messages, dates of phone calls over and over again by individuals linked and connected to Trump and his cronies. It is well documented in this indictment. They tried to get these election and poll workers to unlawfully and untruthfully create some sort of doubt or false testimony as to some grand scheme that occurred in these voting rooms, which never occurred. This was a multifaceted effort on many levels by Trump and those closest to him to completely undermine and steal an election. Now, you may be sitting there saying... Well, this is just politics. Who cares? Trump pontificated. He lied. So what? Let's move on as a country. Let's move. Let me tell you something. You see coups in other countries, coups and all these, you, you think of them as third world or developing world countries where somebody's overthrown, there's a military dictatorship all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's some retaliation against one group of people or the other, there's genocide, there's this, there's unrest, and you think that's so far-fetched from where we sit in America. Well, the reason that you have the luxury of thinking that so far-fetched is precisely because of prosecutors like Fonnie Willis who are willing to investigate corruption and coups the way she did in this case. And if you are going to sit back and say, oh, who cares, I just love Trump and be emotionally driven, willfully ignorant, and ignore what the proof is, then you are one of the reasons we are one step closer to being one of those third world countries. The only barrier between us and those third world countries is our institutions and the fact that we hold people accountable who try to steal and manipulate the government and steal it away from the people and the will of the people. This was a subversive, intentional, widespread, multifaceted criminal enterprise which attempted to overturn a free election and steal it for Trump. The proof in this indictment is ridiculously evident. And what's intriguing to me about it is there are so many instances in this indictment where people involved or 
cursily involved or even Republicans are referenced as saying, I'm not going to violate the law for you. So these people, there's no question Giuliani and Trump, they knew that this was against the law because people were telling them when they were trying to solicit them, saying, hey, just do this for us. They're like, look, I'm not going to break the law for you. So they knew it was against the law. There is specific conduct referenced in this indictment where the fraudulent electors were meeting to sign the documents prepared by Trump's confidants and Trump's lawyers in order to forge and lie and fraudulently file themselves as the Georgia electors. And Rudy Giuliani is saying, hey, don't get any attention to this until it's done. Don't get the press involved. Don't tell anybody. He's covering it up from jump because he doesn't want anybody to know because it's illegal. And one of the best quotes in this was under Act 95, on or about the 25th day of December 2020, so Christmas, December 2020, placed Trump called personally the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, Rusty Bowers, for the purpose of soliciting, requesting, and importuning Bowers to unlawfully appoint presidential electors from Arizona. During the call, Bowers stated to Trump, point blank, I voted for you. I worked for you, I campaigned for you, I just won't do anything illegal for you. So Trump was personally calling people, asking them to commit felonies and fraudulently appoint the wrong electors to vote for him even though it's against the will of the people in those states. And those public officials, including Brad Rathesberger, including Rusty Bowers said, I might support you, Mr. President, but I will not break the law for you. And you're asking me to break the law. And that is exactly what was going on in this case. And Willis has laid it out in a detailed, well-documented, unequivocal manner in this indictment. Piece by piece, brick by brick, spanning from November to January. 161 overt acts, 41 counts in this sprawling indictment. Now, this really delves deep into detail because you're seeing then what this indictment also alleges and says is you have emails and memos going back and forth between Giuliani other high ranking profile like Giuliani was all over this thing Giuliani was one of the main engineers of this which is just crazy somebody who was a federal prosecutor who was a decorated prosecutor just going so much against the law so subversive so wretched what he was doing Rudy Giuliani is all over this thing and Cheeseboro is all over this thing they were sending memos and emails back and forth and what these emails and memos say, and we have them. Willis has them. That's the thing. There's no speculation. We have the emails. What they say is, look, if we can get the fraudulent fake electors in those states to meet, and we'll do that without anybody knowing, keep it on the hush-hush. We're going to get them to meet secretly. We're going to coordinate them meeting. They're going to sign fraudulent documents. Here's the fraudulent documents we've prepared. Trump's legal people. Here's the fake documents we've prepared. And they're indicted. So kiss your law licenses goodbye because they're dishonest as all hell. Here's the fraudulent documents we've prepared. They are going to sign them. Once they sign them, they're going to send them to Congress. Once they send them to Congress, we're going to create enough confusion and enough doubt that Mike Pence, 
Our ace in the hole, Mike Pence, is going to say, whoa, 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 there's confusion here. I'm not going to count these states. I want to pause this for a special proceeding so we can figure out what to do here. And many speculate that the next step was to try to find some arcane, uh, you know, provision somewhere that would allow somehow these state legislatures or these other electors or some congressional group to overturn the election and leave it in Trump's hands or take it to the courts or whatever they would do. In fact, they were asking Pence, it says in the indictment, asking Pence to declare uncertainty with the election, kick it to the courts, and they were anticipating that the courts would kick it back to Congress as a political question that they couldn't decide on. Which, if you don't understand history, and you don't understand politics, and you don't understand human society and human history enough to understand that that can, can constitute a constitutional crisis, which can then lead to chaos and unrest and the collapse of institutions we rely on, you need to go back to school. If you're dismissing this, you need to go back to school. Period. This is not rocket science. This is not something unprecedented that we haven't seen over and over throughout human history. That would have been catastrophic if Pence had done that. Catastrophic. Period. But Pence... Pence told Trump, point blank, I will not violate my oath. I will not go against the Constitution. So Pence told Trump as well, this is against the Constitution. This is against my oath. I will not do this. Trump said he wasn't brave. He was acting cowardly. He really lost faith in him when Pence said he would not subvert his oath in favor of Trump. But what's in the indictment is that even after Pence said he wouldn't do it and he disagreed with it and it was against the Constitution, Trump and his cronies made public statements and statements to other state officials that Pence agreed with Trump, that they were all in agreement that there were problems with the election and Pence was not inclined to solidify the votes. That was an outright lie. And eventually Pence decided not to go along with it, just like state officials in Georgia decided not to go along with it, just like state officials in Arizona decided not to go along with it. Even if they were Republicans, they said, this is illegal. I'm not touching this. And for that, they are not indicted. But the people who heard it was illegal, knew it was illegal and continued to engage in that activity. Those are the 19 people that are indicted in Georgia. And this is a very carefully corroborated, carefully executed indictment there's a reason Fonnie Willis spent almost a year with the special grand jury collecting evidence 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 pieces testimony text messages video audio there's a reason it's because it's because she wanted this to be airtight and she wanted to get to the bottom of it and she did and Trump's out here, oh, she's a racist, this and that. I hope you know there's several African-Americans among the 19 indicted. This has nothing to do with race or culture wars or any of that. This is not the run-of-the-mill culture war nonsense, you know, echo chamber politics we're talking about. This is objective violations of our Constitution, objective criminal activity by Trump and his cronies. If you are a serious American who truly believes in freedom, who truly believes in the Constitution, 
All you 2A people out there who say you love the Constitution so much, you believe in it so much, all of you people out there with the bald eagle shirts and the fireworks on 4th of July and the rah-rah, America this, America that, you better be standing on the side of this indictment and reading it and accepting it and acknowledging it because this is a direct threat to our democracy and our free elections. There is no way around it if you honestly read it and you're intellectually honest with yourself. This is unequivocal. This is mapped out so detailed that it's inescapable and it will be proven in a court of law. But it proves how deep this scheme was. Essentially, Trump and his allies said, even if we lose, we're going to steal the election. We're going to steal this election, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to come out and declare that we won anyway. Then we're going to make up a bunch of nonsense about voter fraud. Then we're going to go to state legislators and try to get them to go against their oath and just flip it for us, straight up flip it for us. We're going to go to fraudulent people. We're going to nominate regular citizens as fraudulent electoral college members, get them to forge fraudulent documents and submit that to Congress. And we're going to have our vice president, Mike Pence, refuse to accept the results of the election. We are going to steal it. Now, I have news for you. In third world countries, in developing countries, that's when one tribe member from over here, one guy who's the governor of this state over there, one guy who's an official over here, agree to the conspiracy, unlike what happened in America and they do steal the election and then there is rioting in the streets and there's all kinds of nonsense that happens and then people get killed and all yada 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 luckily in this country for the time being our institutions and the people in those institutions are strong enough to withhold and withstand that attempt to steal the country from the people but that won't always be the case and I'll tell you one institution that failed gravely in their duty, failed gravely in every aspect of what the founding fathers intended for them to do, disgraced and defaced their office, disgraced and defaced their oath. That are the Republican senators who voted not to impeach, not to convict on impeachment because Trump was already out of office and you can't do that. That was nonsense. They came out after and said, if he was in office, I would have convicted because this was a disgrace, including Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, all the other people. I would have voted to convict, but you can't, you can't convict somebody who's no longer in office. That was the biggest cop-out nonsense ever, and that was a dereliction of their duty, and they will go down in history as derelicts in their duty. Because they could have prevented Trump from ever running from president again, and right now we would be looking at an indictment without the political fervor, without the, the impending election, which is again what Trump wanted to do, to paint this as an electoral strategy, rather than the truth, which is that he's guilty of a crime. If they had voted to convict, he could never hold president again, and we wouldn't be in this mess. They'd be indicting him anyway. I have news for you, because it's the right thing to do, but it wouldn't have all these election consequences. The fact that somebody who did this and could be convicted of this is still on the ballot and running for president is an abject failure of our institutions. And that's firmly on the shoulder of those senators who refused to vote to convict, even though they knew the evidence was there. They really should be pondering themselves right now and having a serious reckoning. But regardless, there is another theory out of the Federalist Society currently saying, look, the 14th Amendment bars anybody who's participated in insurrection from running for office. So Trump's not convicted yet, and you are innocent until proven guilty in this country. So right now, he's not guilty of insurrection, so of course he could be on the ballot. However, if one of these cases, including the Georgia case, were to result in a conviction which encompasses insurrection, 
then I think it would be a completely sound legal theory to simply remove Trump from the ballots in several states and let it be challenged up to the Supreme Court. And I think the Supreme Court, as textually literal as they've been, will have to adhere to the 14th Amendment and declare that it's up to the states and he can be removed from the ballot. And let's remember, the Supreme Court has not handed Trump, despite being nominated by Trump and despite issuing a ton of conservative rulings that conservatives and Republicans like, the Supreme Court has not ruled in favor of Trump very much. So he could lose that, but that's down the road. That's if he gets convicted. But it really was a failure of our institutions with the Senate not convicting on impeachment, yet saying they, sh- they would have if he was still in office. Nonetheless, our institutions were strong enough to withstand this barrage of a conspiracy and racketeering uh, attempt by Trump and his cronies. So here, here's some of the nuts and bolts to try to understand what this, if you're going to read this indictment, what you're looking for, what you're reading, what these terms mean, etc. So, overt acts essentially are when you charge somebody with conspiracy or you charge somebody with racketeering, racketeering is essentially a conspiracy, right? It's essentially a conspiracy amongst various individuals who commit various acts which are overall part of a scheme to do something illegal or part of a scheme to advance illegal, unlawful activity. And they engage in legitimate and non-legitimate things that advance that illegitimate goal, right? That's essentially what racketeering is. It was created to take down the mob, uh, but now it's advanced to, you know, drug cartels, uh, corrupt officials. uh, The Ku Klux Klan has been indicted in certain instances under the the RICO Act. It uh, is a wide-reaching statute. But in order to prove the RICO statute, somebody has to—you have to show overt acts, Right. So if you agree just to do something, like we agree we're going to kill somebody, or we agree we're going to steal an election, that's just an agreement, right, in principle. That's not actually carrying out the scheme. So in order to prove that a, a RICO statute, that a RICO conviction is warranted, you have to show a number of overt acts, a number of acts that were actually done in an attempt to further and achieve the goal of the conspiracy. So the goal here was to steal a free election. And the overt acts listed, some of them are blatantly illegal. Some of the overt acts, the 161 overt acts, are not illegal on their face, but they are proof of the furtherance of the conspiracy to steal the election, right? So those 161 acts that you see in the indictment, those are all overt acts which are part and parcel of proving count one, which is the racketeering statute, the RICO statute. Those overt acts prove the intention of the conspiracy, the fact that there was a conspiracy amongst various individuals who was involved in the conspiracy, some of the things they were doing to further the conspiracy, but some of those acts are abjectly illegal, and some of those acts are not illegal, but prove the RICO statute. Go to prove as evidence that it was done, i.e., If you kill somebody and then you lie to your friend about where you were, lying to your friend is not on its face illegal. But the fact that you lied to your friend could be proof of you trying to cover up the murder. You see what I'm saying? So you may see people now, some of the talking points are, oh, they're just charging him with lying. You can lie. It's not illegal. They're just charging him with talking. You can talk. They're not charging him with that. Those are overt acts. 
that go to show what the objective was and how they were going to accomplish it. Then there are lies, like lying to certain public officials, uh, soliciting cooperation of public officials to go against their oath, forging documents, telling other people to lie. Those are criminal charges, and people are charged with that, and that's not part of the overt act section of the indictment. That's part of the counts section of the indictment. So that explains some of why the indictment is so long and what these 161 overt acts are as opposed to the 41 counts of the indictment. But when you read them all together and you take them all together, they paint a very vivid, a very detailed, uh, and a very unequivocal picture of what occurred here. Now, I think most people know what occurred. I think even if you're a Trump supporter and you're just saying, oh, this is a political witch hunt. Oh, they're just trying to come back at him. They're just trying to stop him from running and this and that. Even you know that he did try to steal the election by lying about it. You're just thinking it's not criminal, but it is criminal. It's criminal when you try to solicit public officials to go against their oath and to fraudulently declare elections against what the people in their state wanted. It's illegal to forge and draft fake documents. It's illegal to cause people to sign their names as legitimate electors when they are not the legitimate electors. It's illegal to try to get the vice president of the United States to throw out the results of a free election. It is illegal. It's illegal to tamper with voting machines without proper authority to do so. It's illegal to get the information of voters and their voting records when you don't have license or authority to do so. And you are now in possession of people's private records when you don't have license to do so from the entity responsible, the state government. It's illegal. Period. And those acts were charged and they were part of the conspiracy to illegally and unlawfully change the results of a free election. There is no graver offense in a free country, in a democracy than that. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter if who did this was a Democrat. We'd be saying the same thing. And I see people out here constantly saying, oh, you know, um... You know, they, they're stupid. They don't realize, like, by doing this, they're just going to give him more fodder for the election. His poll numbers are getting stronger the more they indict him. They don't get it. No, it's not that they don't get it. It's that they're not acting partisan. They're not acting out of political advent. Contrary to people's ridiculous accusations that this is a politically motivated witch hunt, po- politics would say don't indict him because it makes his poll numbers go up. This isn't about politics. They're not thinking about politics. Contrary to the nonsense narrative... They're not thinking about politics when they indict him. They're thinking about what's right and what's wrong. And they're thinking about the evidence and proof before them. And they're thinking about whether it's provable in a court of law. And it is. They're not worried about the political backlash. They're worried about doing what's right. Unlike Trump and unlike anybody who still follows him down this path of treachery and subversion when the evidence and truth and facts are plain as day and they simply refuse to digest them mentally. There's no other way around it. There's no other reading. I'm not going to engage with people anymore who refuse to acknowledge plain reality. And if you haven't read the whole indictment, don't even bother trying to talk to me about it and have some issue with what I'm saying. Read it. It's damning. It's damning. And it should be, because that's what happens when you try to steal a free election. 
But I really encourage people to read more about this indictment. I encourage you to read the indictment yourself because the, the level of detail in it, the level of detail in it, the level of specificity, the allusion to physical documents, text messages, recordings that were preserved, emails that were preserved, co-conspirators who testified, who are cooperating or who were involved in these meetings and conversations is damning because the evidence is right in front of everybody for everybody to see. There is no wiggle room. There is no random whistleblower just making blind accusations and allegations. This is documented, provable fact as to every step and every count charged. Every count. Every overt act, is, which is all just part of one count. One count contains 161 instances that are provable by evidence just for that one count. If you're still rocking with this dude, just say you're cool with him stealing a free election. You don't care about freedom. You don't care about America in the sense we were brought up to care about America. All you care about is owning libs and Trump. You don't care about America. You are completely done with democracy. Just admit it. Because if you still support Trump after this, that's what you're saying. Read the indictment. There's a reason it took Willis this long to release the indictment, because it was based on so much fact and it was so painstakingly put together. This is not just some run-of-the-mill generalized thing that she threw out there. Read it and try your best. Read it and try your absolute honest best to yourself, not to somebody else, to try to argue with it deep down in your soul and heart and mind. And then tell yourself it's BS, because it's so unequivocally not. And you know, I, I sat here and talked about the Manhattan indictment with Bragg, and I, I talked about the weaknesses of that indictment and the interesting aspects of it, how it could be proven, what the theory was. Still a lot of doubt as to what the theory could be. I knew it wouldn't move the needle politically at all. I wonder how he's going to do in court with that theory. I've always wondered it because of the two steps of proving. First, proving the action taken and then proving the state of mind that the action proven was try to further a felony, which was election fraud. I told you the weaknesses in that case. The documents case is strong, but people don't really care about documents. And other people have taken documents, but this indictment, this indictment is detailed, painstaking, and really almost impossible to argue with. And Trump will get a defense. He's innocent until proven guilty. He has that right. He can take this to trial. But from reading that indictment, I think it's very strong. And it's very likely that Trump gets convicted and that several of the individuals indicted get convicted. And the other thing to remember about this indictment is that this is a state indictment. That means that Trump can't pardon himself. No subsequent president, no federal official can pardon Trump because this is a state indictment. Even if Trump gets elected president, he can still be locked up in the state of Georgia because he cannot overturn a state case. 
He cannot pardon a state case. That's very important. The other federal cases, Trump can be pardoned. He can pardon himself. Somebody else can pardon him. He has control over it, etc. Speaking of pardons and having control over the executive branch of the government, another thing in this indictment that was so groundbreaking and, and appalling to me was that Trump and his cronies were trying to ask Justice Department officials. It's so ironic. It's so ironic. So ironic that the current line of attack now is, oh, the Biden Justice Department is trying to get Hunter a good plea deal. The Biden Justice Department is going against Trump. When in reality, in this indictment, instances proven, corroborated evidence show that Trump, when he was the president, literally tried to get the Attorney General's Office of the United States to issue statements that there was serious fraud in the election, even though there was no serious fraud. Bill Barr has pretty much turned state's evidence at this point. Bill Barr, who was the attorney general who was a Trump loyalist. Bill Barr has basically turned and said, this guy was nuts. I didn't believe any of this crap. Yet Trump was trying to tell members of the Justice Department just to lie. He was saying, just declare fraud and I'll take care of the rest. He wanted our United States Justice Department to straight up lie and say there was evidence of fraud when there was no evidence of fraud. But then he turns around and starts talking about the Biden Justice Department, this and that. This is the twilight zone. The twilight zone. And you're all living in it if you continue to co-sign this absolute abject nonsense. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. But that's... Just read it. There's so many instances in there. So much provable conduct. So much evidence alluded to. These guys tried to steal the country. It's insane. They should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. That's what justice requires. That's what truth requires. That's what objectivity requires. And anybody out there rooting for some rich, privileged billionaire to steal their country from them and then turning around and wearing bald eagle shirts and flying flags and shooting guns and saying their self-proclaimed presidents, uh, patriots, don't tread on me, are full of absolute shit. Absolute shit. No getting around. No getting around. Just refusing to acknowledge reality. Refusing. Maybe there and there de- could be decent people in everyday life, family people, working hard, whatever. That's fine. But politically, logically, intellectually, they are suspect. Period. It's time to acknowledge what Trump has done and move on from it. It's time to acknowledge it. It's time to stop placating the nonsense and pretending that, oh, this is bad for the country because, you know, how could people be indicted? Oh, so you're saying if you're a government official and you have all the power in the world, then you should be immune from prosecution when you abuse it. Yet the people who support him are some of the biggest conspiracy theorists on this planet who apparently want to take down the rich and powerful who want to subvert the government for their own purposes. Yet when you catch somebody doing that, they're against prosecuting him. Make it make sense. Make it make sense because it doesn't make sense. 
but I'm on vacation right now, guys. I'm trying to enjoy myself. I'm trying to take a deep breath, but this indictment came out. I promised you a Logic and Larry episode when it came out. I thought it was important to break down a little bit and discuss a little bit. So I did that, and I hope everybody enjoyed that. I will be back with you whenever the news strikes again. I don't know about getting on a consistent schedule again anytime soon. I'm trying to work my way up to a certain number of episodes, see where the road takes me beyond that. But, you know, football season starting, I have a lot of those podcasts, but I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm always around. I'm always around. So thanks for listening. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. I hope you all are enjoying mid-August. It's usually that vacation chill-out month before the fall starts and everything gets going again. I hope everybody's enjoying their summertime. I hope everybody's spending time with family and friends, and I hope everybody is in good health. Until next time or some groundbreaking news or until I just get the urge to lace a jazzy soundtrack with my voice and talk to you about some logic, I bid you peace and good health. I'll talk to you soon. Larry K. out.